Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education. My name is Kevin Hogan. I'm editor-at-large for eSchool News, and I'm glad uh, you have found us uh, in this series. I hope you're enjoying them. Uh, with me today, I have Matt Reynolds. Matt is the Assessment and Data Officer at Douglas County School District in the great state of Colorado. Matt, how are you? Great. Uh, just uh, doing fantastic. Thank you for, for inviting me to this conversation. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, as I was mentioning before the, the, the podcast started, I've been doing these twice a month since June, kind of following the conversations of how school districts have been responding to the pandemic and looking at, at, at different aspects of it. One of the reasons I wanted to speak to you specifically is because of your title in terms of uh, assessment and, and data and how those two things work when school districts are in the middle of a pandemic uh, amongst many of the other things that have been disrupted uh, assessment and the use of data which is always top of mind for more innovative districts in, in the country um, even some of those districts had to kind of put those things on the back burner uh, just in order to get kids connected and, and, and try to set up some sort of remote sensibility so as we get started maybe you could just give us a little um, sense of, of where you are, where Douglas County is, your size, uh, and maybe a little kind of a, a backgrounder of, uh, you know, um, a year ago, you know, where were you when, when all this madness started, and, and how has uh, your district responded to the situation? Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, assessment of data is always a fun conversation for me to talk about, for sure. Um, I currently work in, in Douglas County. We're just south of the, the larger Denver metro area. Um, we have about 65,000 students um, in our system. Um, and we have a, a fairly good mix of uh, both charter and neighborhood schools uh, in our system. And uh, we have really been, just like everywhere else across the country, been experiencing all different phases of this uh, pandemic. Um, we have had institutions of really all different phases of learning, the learning modalities, uh, from full remote uh, to e-learning options, to hybrid, to full in-person. Uh, we've, we've really seen it all, um, and we've really done it all in the last uh, 12 months, which has really, really made it interesting uh, for us to plan and prepare. Uh, the one thing about a pandemic is it really has you reevaluate um, what your priorities are, as you just mentioned. Um, you know, some of the projects that we had going at the time or, or no longer up on our agenda. Um, and you know, one of the things I never thought that I would do in a million years in my title would be uh, looking at COVID data and monitoring that um, from you know, the number of quarantines, the number of positive tests to now, which is a great thing, looking at the number of staff that are getting their vaccinations. And so there's that other label of the title um, that it's not necessarily the focus of your conversation here, but it's just, that that kind of speaks to the levels of shifts that we've had to do in terms of our um, overall data needs. Um, assessment has been very interesting as well. Um, I think we see that across the, the nation um, and in our state that, uh, you know, with the pause of assessments from last spring, that made it really interesting for us to determine what was the impact of, of COVID? What was the impact of the pandemic on student learning? Because we had had an entire school year worth of buildup and the pandemic hit us, you know, around the same time it did for the rest of the country in March, which we had a full quarter left. 
And so, you know, we were really anxious to see uh, what was the fruits of our labor for that year. And with having no assessment occur, and rightfully so, just based on where we were at that time, sure, uh, we didn't get that data. Um, we were able to execute and get some data uh, from local sources. Um, you know, a lot of the, the same sources that teachers use to inform their work. Um, and at that time, you know, teachers were really scrambling, schools were really scrambling, and so were we, just to adjust to going from full in-person to a full remote stance. Yeah. And so data collection became really a secondary conversation to us because we were trying to really focus in on engaging students in learning. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about that uh, shift. I mean, I, um, I'm assuming you're an innovative district in the first place if there is even a person with your title on staff. I talk to a lot of districts that, that don't even have that sort of uh, proclivity to, to, to be doing that sort of analysis. But I will... I'll, I'll, I'll take a leap and say that maybe you guys weren't necessarily prepared for a pandemic when it came to shifting from in-person into a fully remote or hybrid situation. And how were you able to kind of adjust to, uh, adjust to that? Yeah, if, if you think of the evolution from even January to March uh, was a, an incredible shift, um, you know, where people were thinking, well, this is going to be a two-week thing to, wait a minute, we're, we're closing schools down for in-person learning for the rest of the year. Um, it was very, very quick response, and I would really have to give credit to really our school staff, our parents, and our students on just how quickly we were able to make some adjustments. Um, we literally handed out thousands of devices for our students to be able to do online learning. We, we handed out uh, hotspots for, for families to be able to uh, conduct online learning. Uh, many of our partners, our local partners, whether it's our wireless providers um, and some of our other business partners really chipped in and helped us make that transition. And it was really, really fast. I mean, we went from uh, this idea of doing a remote stance to, wait a minute, we're going to be doing remote for the rest of the year. Um, and I would say, you know, from uh, a person, uh, we really had some great people step in and help um, our parents were very understanding. They were faced with the same issues at home. So how do I teach uh, uh, our children at home? And our teachers and staff members and school leaders were just so responsive uh, last year. And all the credit to them uh, that we were able to, to shift that quickly. Um, but to your original question, I don't think anybody was truly prepared for the level of impact that, that COVID did have on our system. Yeah, uh, from from the from the data perspective, you talked about your your new duties in terms of collecting vaccination data, things like that. Were there other examples of that this past year that um, data sets that you never believed that you would be collecting uh, BP or for before the pandemic? Yeah, I I think there's there's quite a few, and it, and it's uh, not just new data, but also a, a shift in how you would look and interpret the data. Um, engagement became a very, very large uh, conversation in the spring is as you completely shift from being in person to remote, it's how do we look at capturing data that would give us a window into engagement? Yeah. Um, en engagement is a really difficult thing for us to measure directly. So it's about taking different data sets and collecting them together to paint a picture of what we look at in terms of engagement, whether that's the logins that people have and that students have in an online environment, 
the number of engagements that they have with their, their teachers, whether that's through email or phone calls, um, the Google meetings, which at that time was a pretty fairly new phenomenon of being able to engage. And also what's our outreach plan uh, from every one of our schools to reach those students. Um, and that was a, a fairly big shift for us in terms of uh, making it so that the engagement was really the focus for us. Um, you know, it, it was shifting away from just the performance to saying, are we engaging kids in this new educational uh, approach? Uh, moving into this year, um, engagement was still a conversation, but we started to uh, get our sea legs underneath us, for lack of a better word, to say, how can we start looking at, um, you know, the way that students are learning in this environment? which became really, really, really challenging for us. Um, you know, looking at some of our online providers uh, for curriculum resources to ask questions about how can we get a window into what students are doing, how they're doing, and, and really assessment in and of itself became a very interesting concept because, you know, we often don't realize how much informal data we get from the day-to-day -day operations with students and the value of that data and right now the value of not having that data is tremendous um, the informal assessment moves that our teachers make each and every day um, on an informal assessment basis really has become so critical uh, because we don't have those large-scale data sets that we normally do to check in with students right um, you know our district is fully implemented iReady as part of our package uh, for monitoring student performance in reading and math. Um, and we have leveraged that uh, for a great deal of the work that we do because it is something that we can administer. It is something that we can get a good window of opportunity and, and get large scale participation. Um, and even that has been challenging. Uh, we did our first fully remote administration of iReady in December, um, which that's a major shift from just your standard um, mode of administering a test to now you're doing something fully remote. So the discussions that followed was how do we interpret that data in light of the fact that the kids uh, are taking it at home, they're not being monitored. So what do you do with that data? So right. it's been a challenge all the way around. Um, and when you talk about those large data sets, are you talking about um, the, the state testing that normally would have happened this past spring? Yeah, it's, you know, when you consider the, the amount of testing that we have for kids, um, you know, we test uh, just based on both state and federal law, we test them, you know, whether it's English language learners or whether it's just your normal standard, uh, standardized assessments for English language arts, math, science, social studies. Um, in our high schools, we have the college board suite for PSAT 8, 9, 10, and SAT. Um, you know, we were able to execute AP testing in the spring with their modifications to going fully online. Um, and then again, you had to look at that data and, and what does that mean to shift online and how do you interpret that data and, and work with that data? Cause it's a new modality uh, for them to take the test. Um, and you know, this fall we did a few of administrations of college board. Uh, we did an SAT and we did a PSAT as an opt in for our kids who missed in the spring. Mm. Um, and you know, those kids, those who were able to uh, come in and take the test, then you had to interpret in light of not having all kids take the test. So um, with that, um, and through these experiences, talk a little bit, have you 
discovered any innovations or any thoughts of like, well, geez, maybe this is the way we should have been doing it in the first place or, or any other sort of surprises as you've implemented this brave new world to where you think you may um, use once the madness ends? Yeah, I, I think that there are some things that, that uh, we will carry forward. Um, this idea of, of meeting and working with students remotely, um, you know, we'd always kind of flirted with this idea. And now that you see it fully in, and uh, our teachers are very, very creative with how they approach, you know, using breakout rooms with some of these uh, video platforms and things like that, um, of being able to connect to kids. And I really do think that the approaches that uh, we see just on the distance learning side of things with remote learning, I do think that we're going to be applying those more uh, to expand um, our learning beyond the walls of a classroom or beyond the walls of a school building to be able to branch out our kids and to reach out beyond and make connections. Um, you know, some of our teachers are connecting with people from across the globe and bringing those people in because you can do it seamlessly. Um, and it's like that person is just on the video call with them and they're bringing in these people to have those conversations. Um, you know, there's a, certainly a change in, in how you monitor engagement. That's certainly been a learning curve. Um, but there are certain things with how we uh, work with our students on the online environment that we certainly think that we'll be moving forward in a different direction. On top of that, when you think of how we as adults interact with one another, um, you know, we have found that professional development opportunities, depending on what the subject is, we've seen more people take advantage of it because it's online and it's just easier for them to uh, access because if they've got children at home, they're able to jump on and, and join one of our professional development opportunities at night more seamlessly if it's not in person. And so I think there are going to be flavors of this, um, this normal, uh, as it were right now, that are going to continue beyond uh, this year. Right. I mean, I just spoke with uh, the folks in Kershaw County down in, in South Carolina in terms of special ed and in terms of getting those various stakeholders together. Sometimes you would need eight people in a physical room at the same time in order to discuss the, a particular student, which could sometimes take weeks. And now it, it just can happen in a day and it might happen four times a day, right? As a result of the, of the, the synchronous technologies. Well, let's get back to, to, to the data a little bit more. Um, with that lack of data sets, you said that you had to rely upon some of your own um, collections. Um, can you get it into the weeds there a little bit? I mean, in terms of the specifics, when you, I mean, what did you do? How did, what sort of action points did you take away from these new data point collections? Well, you know, I, I think the, the greatest thing that uh, there's always a silver lining and I'm a, an optimistic person. And so you tried to find uh, really the silver lining to any situation. Um, and one of the things right now is, um, you know, you're assessing for what purpose? Um, it's assessing to find out um, information about your students, but then to that root question of, of why are we gathering this data? Um, and now we're in a position where you know, you're missing some of those large data sets that really only give you a snapshot at a certain point of time in that particular modality at that time of year. And so now you're talking to teachers and you're talking to school leaders about, well, what, what's the ongoing data that you use to inform your instruction? So rather than looking at uh, the assessment, which is assessment for accountability purposes and that summative side, 
you're now looking more towards that formative assessment side to really ask teachers in the moment, what is the most useful for you? Um, and what is gonna give you the most information about where your students are in the moment? Um, and really helping them branch out to say, okay, there's some online options for you to gather data and, and utilize some self-reflections that students have to be able to gather the data that you want. Um, and it's all about the challenge of, of talking to folks and saying, you know what, we understand the challenge, you don't have them face to face. So really let's narrow what your focus is in terms of gathering data so that you can really make it meaningful, you can make it make sense, and you can also use it effectively and efficiently. Um, you know, we have, you know, our buildings that are really using some creative ideas and some of our teachers regarding their assessment practices, whether it's really um, informal assessment and student reflections that I think is really the most exciting piece of it. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I often have the opportunity to present large scale data to various stakeholder groups. Um, while that data is not as complete as it typically is, on the other side of the informal data that's being collected, uh, we have much richer conversations because people really have to reflect on what they're doing with students. Right, right. Talk a little bit about um, the perception of your work. Um, you know, talk you know, before the pandemic, BP, that I like to call it, uh, as well as now we're in, in DP during the pandemic. I know, I mean, not knowing your district specifically, but um, there are other districts where people have struggled to communicate the value of data and whether that meant implementing a big student information system or some sort of other expensive solution that involves data analytics that would have to go in front of a school board and you'd have people, uh, we at, at you just call them thwatties, like this is the way we always did it. Why we, we don't need this newfangled stuff. You know, we know our kids, we know our things. I don't know if that was your, your situation before. It sounds like things were pretty progressive before, but has there been a shift in a mindset of, of the importance of using data and using assessment data in order to carry the kids through this situation? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, Douglas County matches the nationwide conversation regarding large-scale assessment. Um, you know, right now the, the conversation, both locally and on a national level, is yes, we want to know where students are, but are we willing to sacrifice instructional time, which is so precious to us right now, uh, to gather that information? Because right. many of those assessments do take time away from the learning. And so that conversation has continued. It's uh, reached another a different pitch now because the instructional time is just so valuable to us at the moment that um, yes, we want to know, but we also want to utilize every minute of every day to provide instruction for students because we have been in and out of this, you know, physical online hybrid model um, all year long. And so that has certainly changed the conversation for us. Um, but it really comes down to that conversation about purpose. Um, what's the purpose of assessment? What's the purpose of data? Um, you know, I have really found that if you're able to have a conversation with someone about the purpose and use of data, it really diffuses the conversation um, and it really focuses our energy to, to make sure that when we gather information that we're actually using it. Mm. Well, I have to say that uh, usually I, I try to wrap up these conversations asking for, for a, a glass half full uh, prognostication. So maybe I'll, I'll ask that of you. I mean, when, 
when you look at the vaccines that are coming out and you look at you know the the hopefulness that there may be back to normal uh, this fall to whatever degree normal means talk a little bit about um, your your further work and how you see data continuing to uh, advance the way that uh, we assess and support students um, as a result of what we've just kind of gone through. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really think the light is at the end of the tunnel. Um, we really do see, um, you know, with vaccinations coming out and with uh, the community data that we have, the spread is, is minimizing, it's going down. All of that points to, you know, some really great things in the future. Um, our district is really committed to professional learning communities. Um, and at the, at the heart of the professional learning communities is utilizing data to make informed decisions about instruction. Um, you know, knowing what you want students to know and be able to do, and then gathering the information to make decisions beyond that point. Um, and we really um, are going to try to take as much as advantage of this as we can, because now that we've, you know, we've stripped back, um, you know, all of the ancillary things that we've been doing down to just the core of what do we want students to know and be able to do, and build upon that next year. Um, professional learning communities are nothing new in Douglas County. Um, it's just an opportunity for us to reinvigorate the conversation, refocus the conversation, and use some of the things that we've learned in the last year to help grow um, kids. It's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Well, Matt, I appreciate your time. Uh, I think uh, we dug up a number of insights that our audience will really be able to uh, take a hold of and uh, implement in their own district. So I appreciate that. And thank you for the work that you do. It's, it's hugely important. Uh, especially during this time. And uh, I know that uh, this, the parents in, in Douglas County appreciate your work as well. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate your, your continued work of, of reaching out to different districts and uh, plucking and picking brains and, and getting these ideas together. It's great. It's great for all of us to learn from one another. And hopefully at some point, uh, we'll be able to do this once again uh, in person. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks again. And thanks, everybody, for watching. And uh, please uh, click around and look for the next episode of Innovations in Education. I'm Kevin Hogan.